0: going to sit across the table from you if that's okay this morning. I was in a restaurant like this. I had a booth this week and uh, um, so I thought I'd I'd just share with you from across the table this morning. If you know a little bit about me, um, if you know me at all, you know that I lose things quite a bit. Always losing stuff. There's the big four that I'm losing almost on a daily basis that uh, things I'm losing. So uh, my wallet. I don't know if there's any guys in here that can relate. Just always wondering where my wallet is. My keys. Uh, my Palm Pilot, and then my cell phone, which oh, that's my pocket. Which speaking of that, I make sure it's on mute. Turn it off. Um, so those are the big four. So when I leave in the morning, uh, I say goodbye to my wife, give her a kiss, goodbye, and she's like, "I'll see you in about thirty seconds." Like, well, you know, I'm I'm really leaving this time. I, I promise, I'm going to leave. So I go to my car, and there's something I miss, and I run back in, and that's just that's sometimes that's how my life goes. I'm always losing things. I've lost two wedding rings. This is my third wedding ring. They've gotten cheaper each time. Uh, one marriage. Only been married once, but my third wedding ring. Always losing things. Um, kind of, um, I guess you call me absent-minded or whatever, but I, I actually left my wallet in a booth like this a couple of weeks ago. Went back, and it was gone, and I had to, I had to track it down. Fortunately, I was able to find it, but that, that's the story of my life, losing things. Probably the biggest thing I've ever lost was my daughter. I. Parents, I don't know if you can relate to this, but uh, it's really a scary time. I was at the Madison Kids Expo a couple years ago. I thought, I'm going to give my wife a morning off. And I'm going to take all three of the girls. They were, I think at the time, four, three, and two. And so I I, uh, went there with a friend and his daughters. And so I went to the climbing wall. I put Kirsten on the climbing wall. She was the oldest. And I had the youngest, Paige, in in a little stroller. So those two were good. And then um, as I got Kirsten signed up for the climbing wall, the rock wall there, I turn around. And my my middle child's gone. She's missing. And uh, has that ever happened to you? Where you're just you're wondering. You're, you start panicking, and and you try not to panic. You know she's got to be around here somewhere. And you look across, and there's probably thousands of people. It was a pretty big deal going on. And I start panicking. And it wasn't that long, but it felt like a half hour that we were looking for her. And uh, there was a fire truck exhibit there where the kids climbed in fire trucks. And I, w- I went up to the firefighter and said, I know you're not here for this, but I need your help. I, I'm trying to track down a three year old girl. I need your help. So they kind of split up. One went to the door. And fortunately, a firefighter came up to me and tugged on my shirt as I was frantically looking around for her. And he said, Follow me, and I'll lead you to her. And she was, she was there crying. And it was really scary. If you're a parent, you, you can relate. And some of your parents are like, I trust you on an international mission trip with my kid. I trust you to take him to camp and all these things. That's the only time that's ever happened. It's, it was my own kid. I take care of other people's kids. Um, I don't think my wife's let me do that since I uh, take him to that kid's expo. Has your heart ever beated like that out of your chest for someone else across the room? Has your heart ever panicked for them or you felt so much for them because they were lost. Can you, can you think of people being lost? See, the Bible tells us every one of us at one point in our life, we're lost. Um, I've been lost quite a bit looking for directions, traveling around. Uh, and the last thing I want to do is stop and ask for directions, right? Um, but Jesus talks about people being lost. In fact, there's this, this famous chapter in Luke 15 where Jesus shares several stories. He starts off with a guy with a lot of sheep. A shepherd's got a hundred sheep. And he loses one of them. And he leaves the 99 and he goes and he finds that one sheep. And then he, he moves from losing animals to losing possessions. And he talks about a woman who has ten coins. And she loses one of them. So she's lost a tenth of everything she owns. And she, she looks all around the house for that one coin. And then he ends with the story of a father who loses his son. And uh, it's, a, it's a story you may be familiar with. It's called the prodigal son. And the son comes home and the father rejoices. And, and the Bible relates that story to God searching for people. See, God's not willing that anyone should perish. We, we've all at some point have been lost. Maybe you're feeling that way this morning. You're just lost. You don't have that relationship with God. As I as I, um, we started the series last week, this Walk Across the Room series that Mark started. Small groups are going through it, students are going through it. And so I don't know if I'm the only one here, but I was kind of strangely preoccupied with people this week, a little more sensitive to the people I came in contact with. So let me just run through a few different people. Um, am I the only one? You guys, a little more sensitive to the people, maybe at work or at the office, at school that you came across. So there was... There was Emilio's delivery guy that uh, delivered lunch to the church here one day. I got to talk to him a little bit. Um, there was the parents, group of parents outside my daughter's school. I was picking my, my girls up, and um, I felt the Spirit nudging me to, to have a conversation with one of them, and, and I, I did not obey the Spirit on that one. I feel like, man, I, I kind of dropped the ball there. I was not obedient to the Spirit. Um, there was a charter telecommunication, communications guy the telemarketer guy on the phone really annoying job that he has but I thought this this guy's a person he's got a family he's sitting in some office doing some job he probably doesn't want to be doing so I I was thinking about him Um, on my way back to church this week I ran home for lunch coming back to church I passed this guy in a big red truck on the back of the truck it said wild man this truck tinted windows and big truck jacked up wheels big honking wheels and I'm driving by him, and he's going really slow. And I'm like, what, why is he going so slow? And I look, and his front left tire is flat. And I thought, oh, I don't know much about cars, but my dad taught me never drive on a flat tire. You know, Bust the rims. It's not good for the rims. And, and so um, so I start judging the guy, right? Have you guys ever done that? You see somebody, you just start judging them. And as soon as I did that, the Holy Spirit said, turn around and go help the guy. So I did that. I turned the car around, cut him off, and... Ran out, ran up to the, ran up to his window, not knowing what to expect to find inside. Wild man struck, but uh, I said, "Hey man, do you need do you need a ride somewhere?" Do you need, He's like, "Thank you." He's like, "I usually have my cell phone today. I didn't have my cell phone on me, so I need a I need a ride to my mom's house. She lives not too far away, and actually lives in my neighborhood, not too far from me." And had a good conversation, really good conversation. So, um, Wild man, you may be here today. You're a really cool guy. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for thanks for letting me help you help you out this week. But see, all those people all those people, I I feel like I feel overwhelmed. I can't reach all these people. And you see, we're not responsible to reach everybody. We're responsible for to answer the Holy Spirit's calling and nudging in our life when he nudges us throughout the week. When he prompts us, it's our responsibility then to answer that prompting. I feel I feel like what are some of the things that get in the way of reaching people? For me, I have I have a list of people. I don't know if you have this list. I hope I'm not the only one in my own sinfulness this morning it has this list of people that maybe I won't associate with. You know, the the kind of I have a list of qualifiers that you know, I'll reach that person because they kind of look like me. They have they're come from the same socioeconomic background as I do. Um the same race, same ethnic background. They uh, they kind of dress like me. They're my same age, and so that's okay. There's this other group of people maybe that we feel uncomfortable with, and I'll walk across the room for a person that kind of is like me, but for the other person that maybe doesn't vote the same way that I vote, that may be a Democrat or Republican or pro-life or you know, all these different qualifiers. I don't know if you can relate to that, but the they got to be this, the got to be list. Uh, you have a list, and I'll walk across the room for this person, because they're, they're lost, but they're not as lost as maybe this other person. And Jesus says, man, they're either lost or they're not. And could it be that every person who's ever ble- breathed air on this planet, God loves. And God's not willing that any one of those people should perish. That's kind of the, that's kind of the distractions that I have. And i, I got to get through that. And I, I'm in this with you guys as we go through this series, Walk Across the Room. I'm learning this with you. It's it gonna to take to get us across that room. Are we willing to walk across the room for anybody and everybody? Not just the people that we can relate to a little bit a little bit more. Well, there's four motivations that I believe Scripture gives us to walk across the room. Because we've got to understand why are we gonna get across the room. If we're gonna get across the room, just so in our small group we can say we did that, it's kinda of, it's probably not the best motivation. That's helpful, it's some accountability there, but may not be the best motivating factor. So let's look at scripture. Why would we walk across the room? Number one motivating factor is for our love of God. In 1 John it says, we love others because God first loved us. So that may be one motivation. One motivating factor to get across the room to talk to somebody is because of all that God has done for us on the cross. We just celebrated that. You really stop to think about what Christ did for us on that cross. It's going to motivate us. It's going to motivate us. Number two... Is a compassion for the lost. The passage there is from Matthew and it says that Jesus, he looked and he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. Have you ever ever seen a group of people like that? And you just your heart breaks for them. I remember this week looking at a stadium, about 80,000 people, stadium full of people. I, I just remember thinking, how many of those people are lost? My heart just kind of breaking for that that entire stadium of people. So you have compassion; your heart aches for them. The third is a fear or an excitement of judgment day. See, the Bible talks about one day we're all going to come face to face with Christ. What an exciting time that is for for those who know Jesus. We had a member of our church who's actually in the service last week. Probably was planning to be here this weekend, go, going through the series with us, and. And she met Jesus face-to-face on Monday night. Barb Joppa passed away this week on Monday night. And the excitement that she had, she went from going through a series walk across the room, immediately, in a split second, she's now in a series of running across heaven to meet Jesus. It's pretty exciting to think of what she's doing right now. But one day we're all going to meet Jesus. So may, there may be a friend of yours, a family member, and you think, one day they're going to meet Jesus. And I I fear for that. You don't know when that's going to happen. The fourth one that ties into that, which would be easy to skip over this because it's not very PC, not very politically correct to mention this, but it's very biblical, and that's the urgency of hell. Hell's a real place. There's a lot of things I don't know about hell, but I know one thing, and it's the absence of God. It's just you're going to spend eternity without God, and, and I just can't think of anything worse than that. Jude 23 says that we need to to snatch people from the fire. And so four motivating factors this morning that we we can think through. Which one do you respond to the most? Which one would get you across the room? I think four, they're all biblical, they're all good. And some of us may may tend to lean toward one or the other. Um, What's going to get us across that room? Motivating factors. Can't save everybody, Right think of all the people you come in contact with throughout the week you can't reach every one of them i think it starts with little steps little steps to develop a relationship with someone it's little steps don't don't think in terms of i got to go save my friend at work think maybe take a little step to begin a relationship with that person this this little video clip illustrates what i'm talking about a little bit better
1: dr marvin You can help me. For the first time in my life, I feel like there's hope. I feel like I can be somebody. Bob, there's an old saying that the best psychiatrist in the world is the one right inside of you. Yeah. I can help you. Yes. Thank you. Bob, there is a groundbreaking new book that has just come out. Ah. Now, not everything in this book, of course, applies to you, but I'm sure that you can see, when you see the title, exactly how it could help. Baby steps? It means setting small, reasonable goals for yourself, one day at a time. One tiny step at a time. Baby steps. For instance, um, when you leave this office, don't think about everything you have to do in order to get out of the building. Just think of what you must do to get out of this room. And when you get to the hall, deal with that hall and so forth. You see? Baby steps. Baby steps. Oh, boy. Baby steps. Baby steps. Baby steps through the office, baby steps out the door, it works, it works. All I have to do is take one little step at a time, and I can do anything. Hmm. Baby step around the office. (laughs)
0: That's a staff favorite. When we go on Stafford Street, we watch that video. It's just kind of tradition now, I guess. Um, baby steps. That's what we're talking about this morning. Just what are those little steps that you can take to develop a relationship with someone that God's laid on your heart? And if nothing else, this morning when you leave, you, maybe God's given you one person that you're feeling a burden for, feeling hurt for. We're going to look at a story, if that's okay with you, this morning. Um, kind of story time. And just to set the stage for the story, it's going to be in Luke 5. But let me just go through some of the main characters. Uh, Luke 5, uh, cool about the gospel stories, is oftentimes a story in one gospel. You'll find it in another gospel called Parallel Passages. And so the story is actually in three of the four gospels. And what's that tell us? It tells us, you know, there were the disciples were there. They were taking notes. Um, it wasn't just one person. So there was a page number there. What was the page number? Seven twenty eight, if you've got the Bible there in front of you, uh I help you find it a little bit easier. But the characters, who are the main characters in the story? Let me you've got to have Jesus, right? Jesus is a rabbi. He's playing a rabbi in this story. And then you have a guy named Levi. Levi is a tax collector. You you may know him as Matthew. Matthew's gospel. This is the same guy. He goes by a different couple different names. It's actually talking about Matthew here. And then you've got the religious leaders. We're going to refer to them as the cranky people in the story. Okay, So the, the three main characters, you've got Jesus, you've got Levi, and you've got the religious leaders. And then you have a supporting cast of people who are kind of there and they're referred to. And so we just got to mention them. You have got a large crowd. They're the sinners. A large crowd of sinners. And then you have the disciples. They're kind of always there in the background, the clueless students. They're there. They want to, they want to learn. They're, they're kind of part of it. And uh they're just kind of trying to figure things out by watching Jesus. So we're gonna look at verse one, Luke five, verse twenty-seven. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. All right. Uh just a couple things different between Mark and I. Mark Mark does a great job with his outlines and his points, and and he does so much more than I do. And I wish he was here this week to help me. I don't have all those you know, high-tech outlines and points and everything. So I'm pretty simple. Uh, so your little page of blank notes there, uh, I'm just going to say one word here. The first word I want to say is went. So just, if you want to, if you're taking notes, it's not a lot to take this morning, but man, the first word is went. Really, really important. Let's not overlook this word. Jesus went. And he could have stayed at the temple. He could have spent three years at the temple and, and reached people that way. But you know, that's not very effective. So let's just take a note here. Jesus went. You have to go. You can't sit at church waiting for people to come to us. We've got to get out of the church, and we've got to get out of our homes. And this is a little challenge there for us. We, sometimes God blesses us by bringing us people to our ministries, um, to all the ministries we have at this building. But we've got to get out. Jesus went. It's huge this morning. First observation. A uh, second really profound thought here is he saw. So when we go, when we go out to our schools, when we go to our workplace, may you be observant to the people around you. I think a lot of times we walk by people, we drive by people. Um, maybe on the sidewalk, we're out in our yard and our neighbors work in their yard. And we just, we're not observant. We don't stop and look and we say that simple prayer in the morning. God, give me somebody today to come across my path that I can share with. Um, so be observant. Have your antennas up, so to speak. Keep those antennas up. Who is God bringing a, across your path today? So really important here. Jesus went and he saw. There's a video I want to share with you, and it comes from a ministry called Cadre Ministries. And this ministry will come into our church, or a church, and we'll videotape the ministry. And they'll... He'll kind of consult with us and show us some things that we need to work on. This particular video took place about 10 years ago in another church, another youth group. It was not framed. Uh, this was a video camera that came into the youth group and just kind of stood back in the corner and, and took video of what was going on in the youth group. As we show this video, I'm just going to kind of talk over it. So here's, here's a video of a youth group. I want you to pay attention to all the different people that, that are at and all the students that are at this group. And, camera kind of zeroes in on one student who comes into the room again this is not planned this is just just a typical night at a youth group in another church this kid kind of walks in everybody else is talking everybody's part of a group there this kind of guy's hands in his pocket walking around really doesn't know where he's walking does he He's, he's just looking for some connection looking for somebody to see him and approach him and make conversation with him walks back to where he just came from you see adults he just walked by an adult leader there most of the students are there in a group talking in a circle he kind of gets lost in the crowd and walks back he walks to the door starts to leave and he's like well I can't leave my mom dropped me off he comes back in he does the same walk again I don't believe anybody's intentionally avoiding him. Nobody's doing anything wrong here. They're they're in their relationships. They're they're connecting. It's what students want to do. But I don't know if you saw the guy waving. That was a youth pastor. They're sitting, having a conversation. Just walking, Just waiting for somebody to see him, waiting for somebody to talk to him. A, couple, a leader there connecting with the student—that's a good thing. What if, what if one person had their antenna up there and was looking for who, who's that person that's not connecting? He goes back. Have you ever been in a room like that where you've seen someone and you knew you needed to go up to him? You needed to walk across the room, but you didn't. Maybe some of you, you were that person. Some of you, you were that that kid. We'll stop the video there, Um, but we could watch that video. It's a really long video, and they go into they break actually into groups for prayer. They get into groups of four or five for prayer time, and, and guess what? He's alone. And my heart breaks. I'm, I'm trying to hold it together here. Uh, I don't know if you can rel- relate to that. Maybe you were that person that so wanted somebody to walk across the room to you. You desired a relationship. That's what's so cool about Jesus. In this story, he he not only went, but he stops and he sees someone. He sees someone. Who does he see? He sees a guy named Levi. We don't know the background here to Levi. We don't know if there was a relationship prior to this encounter. We don't know if Levi had maybe caught some of Jesus' teachings and maybe had heard about this rabbi and, and had heard some of his teachings. We don't know if there was a prior relationship, but Jesus sees him. Now, something you need to know about Levi and his profession, it was a very lucrative career, made a lot of money as a tax collector, but he was considered by his own people, by the, his fellow Jews, he was to, to be a traitor. Considered to be a defector from the nation of Israel. Why? Because he made money off of his his, his people. He really worked for the Roman government. See, the Roman government auctioned off tax territories to the tax collectors. They would collect the money that was due to the Roman government, but then they could add anything else that they wanted to add, twenty percent, thirty percent, and so they were making money. They were very rich. They were wealthy. But, uh, but they weren't liked by their people, so they are kind of a social outcast in that sense. Nobody liked them. In fact, their testimony, they were not allowed to testify in a court of law because their testimony wouldn't hold up, weren't even allowed to, to ever go on trial uh, or to, to be a witness because they just had such a bad reputation. I, I wonder here if Jesus, if, uh, if maybe he had to pay his taxes, if he had to sit down, if he had a relationship with Eli. We don't know all the background, we know that he says this. He says, follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi gets up, left everything, followed him. Wow. I don't know about you, but I, I kind of read that. And I'm like, okay, I know it's not that easy. I know he's God. I know Jesus is God here, 100% God. But two words, that's all it takes. Two words for somebody to get up and follow him. So let me give you a little background on what's going on here. We hear that word. I, I go into a room of middle school students. And I'm like, hey, guys, follow me. It doesn't work. I'm just trying to just trying to get him to the next room. Or, you know, my own girls. Follow me. Hey, we're, we're, going, we're going to the van. It doesn't work. So how can Jesus say, follow me? And like this guy leaves his profession. He leaves his family. He leaves everything that he's ever known to follow Jesus. So what was going on with Levi? I, I think God was probably working behind the scenes here. I think God was working behind the scenes. The people that you encounter throughout your week you have no idea what's going on in their lives. You have no idea what's going on in their family, what's going on in their background, what they're dealing with. Maybe they're dealing with some, some mental things, some depression, they're hurting. So you have no idea that simple walk across the room, that may be all it takes. They may be ready. I was just waiting for someone to talk to. And, and they're ready. They're ready. They may be ready the first time you walk across the room to accept Christ. That's rare, but you never know when you walk across that room what's going to happen. A little background. Uh, see, Jesus, God chose to send Jesus to first century Galilee. Um, and the Hebrew tradition and culture of the day was that this, the kids from about age five or six would start going to, to Hebrew school. Okay? Uh, Bet Safer was what it was called. So five or six years old. The boys would start learning the first five books of the, the Old Testament um, called the Torah. And the girls would start memorizing four books uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Deuteronomy, and Leviticus. The girls grew up to be the worship leaders in the church, in the temple. At the church, in the temple. They were the women. And so they would start studying. Around age 12, the girls would go home and prepare to be married at age 12. Um, the boys would begin studying the rest of the Old Testament, or the half haftor, the rest of the written Old Testament. And there would be some Q&A sessions going on between them and the rabbi and, and some memorization drills and things like that. Um, by age thirteen, students in the Hebrew culture were considered religious adults. Okay, by age thirteen, they were considered religious adults. That's why we we see God coming to Mary at probably thirteen years of age to be the to be the mother of Jesus. It's pretty awesome. We see that's why most of the disciples were teenagers. They weren't middle-aged balding guys. You know, maybe thirty years old. They were a lot younger than that. Sometimes in our plays, or <laughs> kind of. I guess that's me. Uh, I just described. Um, so here's the deal the best of the best the best students would go find a rabbi around age 15 and, and they would ask the question may I follow you do I have what it takes to become like you and it was all on the student to walk up to find a rabbi about age 15 and the rabbi would either answer him and say no, you know what thanks for asking but go home and learn a trade or, or the rabbi would say yes, follow me but it was student-initiated. And so then that relationship between the, the rabbi and the student, the student would leave everything and they'd follow that that rabbi for a few years. And sometimes they'd follow him not knowing where he was taking them. You know, he had no clue where they were going, but they're going to follow him. And they wouldn't just want head knowledge at this point. They wanted to, to be just like him and act just like him. And, and how did he handle situations and questions? So... Now, let's go back to our passage here. Jesus says, follow me. This is huge. Jesus breaks tradition here. He breaks the way everybody else does things, all the other rabbis. And he approaches his students. He picks his own students out. And he goes and he sees something in Levi. That's what God does, doesn't he? He sees something in us that we may not see in ourselves. Um, he sees something, saw something in Levi. He saw his potential. He saw what he could become. And he says, I, I want you to follow me. Yeah, I'm not choosing you based on your GPA or because you're really good looking or because you got it all together or because you're really popular, because you're really wealthy or not wealthy. He, said, he didn't base it on that. He, he sees them. He says, follow me. Now we can understand why Levi would say, oh my word, the privilege and the honor to, to be asked to follow a rabbi. Man, I'll, I'll give anything up for that. So we see him, he says, follow me. Jesus said to him, Levi gets up, he leaves everything, he follows him. Uh, verse 29, we jump to, to verse 29. Levi then holds a great banquet for Jesus at his house. I don't know if this was like that night. He was so excited, so pumped up. Jesus called me, I'm gonna have a big shindig at my place. Guys, it's at my place, he probably had a nice home, so he's using his home now uh, for ministry. And he invites, guess who he invites? He doesn't invite all the religious leaders, he doesn't invite all the, the the followers of Jesus. He doesn't invite necessarily just the disciples. He invites all his peers, all his fellow tax collectors, and the, one of our parallel passages it says he actually invites uh, actually invites sinners. Okay, they're called this large crowd uh, called sinners. So all these people who are lost, and, and that's so exciting. I think. Um, Research shows in the church that we're more on fire for our faith within the first two years after we accept Christ, right? So think of the time when you accepted Christ. You chose to follow him. You were pretty excited. It's kind of a sad state then for those of us who've been in the church for a while. We've been followers of Christ. Where's our passion? Why aren't we excited? Why aren't we having parties for for all these people outside the church at our place? So he has this big party great crowd. Uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Okay, so what's going on here? The religious leaders are all bent out of shape. Because the way they saw life, the way they saw the world, was that God, God loved a certain group of people and he didn't love this group of people. And so how can a rabbi be associating with this group of people? Now if we were at this party, I think most of us would probably feel really uncomfortable. Let me just be honest with you, why? Because there's probably some loud music playing, maybe some music we wouldn't approve of. There's probably some vulgarity going on, probably some some tax collector jokes type of deal. Sinners, you know, what type of jokes do they tell? Their conversation. Um, Probably people sleeping in the wrong beds. You know, a lot of people from poor reputation at this party. But Jesus is there. So what's that say? It says that he can be there without compromising his character. And just by him being there, he's giving worth. He's giving dignity to these people. He's not, he's not, never do we say he's approving of their behavior. But he's giving worth. He's giving value to, to people. You see, God's not willing that any of these people at that party should perish. And so it really threw the religious leaders out of whack. And they start, so they, they don't go to Jesus. They go to his disciples. They're like, hey, how can Jesus be having this party? And it's really poor conflict management, right, we see here in this passage. He goes to the disciples. Um, let me just share with you, if you're going to reach the lost, if you're going to take a step um, of faith across that room, be prepared for criticism. Be prepared for criticism. It may even come from the church. Oh, how, how could you be with those people? I've, I've had parents say to me, I, I can't send my, my son or my daughter to youth group because there, there's too many lost people there. And I'm like, there are great I am so glad that they feel comfortable coming to our youth group. That's just great. Well, hey, Kyle, I, I don't know if you know this, but there's this kid that came to youth group tonight and he, his jacket smells like smoke. You know, I just want you to know that. I'm not judging them. I'm like, great, that's great. Um, I'm not going to approve of, of the behavior, but I am so glad that they feel welcome to come uh, to, to an environment where we're going we're to preach Jesus Christ. To we're going to do everything we can to reach the lost. Um, but see, it's really hard to say, Oh, they're not allowed. This is church. There's a certain dress. There's a certain behavior that that, um, that needs to happen. Um, we come back to that list of qualifiers, right? That list, that certain group of people that we can't associate with. In fact, one time I was at a church. It was not Door Creek. Um, I was at another church where we had this great youth rally. Um, we had it actually out on the lawn of the church and had a couple hundred kids come and decisions were made for Christ and it was really exciting. Well, morning after, next morning after, Um, I get called into the the pastor's office and and there was actually the chairman of the deacon board there and they sit me down. I'm like, they're just gonna say great job. Hey, way to go to that party. That was great. Things happen. And no joke, they said, you know, Kyle, you had this thing yesterday. I'm like, yeah. They said, "Um, you know, we just planted grass seed in the spring and our lawn was just looking really good. And and because we had the band and the stage and we had a lot of kids out there, it killed the grass. And uh, you know you just can't be doing that. So that's just one little example of how so easy it would be for the church to say, you know what, um, you can't do that. When you associate, when you take, it's a risk. If you're going to reach somebody, it's going, it takes, it's a risk. There's, you're going to be put in some really awkward situations. Why? Because it's countercultural. When you share your faith, there's two worlds colliding. All right, so it's gonna, there's going to be some awkward moments. There's going to be some things that you feel really uncomfortable about, and that's okay. Why? Because Light and dark are colliding. You have light versus darkness and colliding. And when you think about that, um, it puts it into perspective a little bit. Um, there's an example I just want to share with you of what we're talking about. Um, this example comes from a band, a secular band right now called Amber Pacific. Um, it's a band that's kind of walking up the charts, secular world. Probably not a band. Many of you have their CDs or latest album because probably wouldn't agree with their lyrics. Um, not a Christian band, but, but here's a guy. Uh, there's a guy on this band. His name's Dango, and he's a drummer. And Dango um, grew up loving Christian music, wanted to be in a Christian band. He felt um, an opportunity came along where he could be part of a secular band. And see, so often we have our Christian music, which plays through a Christian audience. And I, just, I get so excited when here's a guy who's, here's this quote, my faith is in Jesus Christ being the one and only Savior of the world. Uh, we receive salvation. So he has great theology. Uh, our band has varied views on faith and we're not a Christian band. But I take every opportunity I can to talk about my faith because that's why God has called me into music. I grew up on Christian music, loved playing it, but felt like God called me out of it to a life of evangelism. I've always loved punk and dreamt of playing on the Warp Tour. Right, he's now playing on the, his third Warp Tour, fourth, and he leads a Bible study with these guys. I'm so blessed to play with these amazing dudes. Um, he wants jump to the last line. I want to be the best drummer I can to glorify Jesus. See, we need believers in these, these environments. We need believers in Hollywood, in your work environment. We, we, the worst thing that we can do is separate ourselves. We have a mission here at Door Creek Church that says changing lives to change the world. Nothing will kill mission more than separation. All right? More than isolation. If we want to kill our mission as a church, we're going to pull back. We're going to do ministry at Door Creek Church. That's it. And we're going to remove ourselves from the world. We're going to remove ourselves from from our workplace. And we're only going to meet with with other Christians. Nothing will kill our mission as a church more than doing that. So that's just a a call, an example. I think that's a great example. I'm not not saying go buy their band, go buy their album. You know, some lyrics there I probably wouldn't approve of, but that's great. That's great that here's this guy reaching reaching people in that way. Um, Just in closing, let me give you some baby steps this morning. The title of the sermon is uh, "Living in 3D." Uh, I didn't come up with that, and so next week when Mark refers to it, you're gonna be like, "What's 3D?" Because Kyle never mentioned 3D, so let me mention it for you. What are your next steps? <laughs> right? So when, when he says, "I was th- living in 3D," you say, "Oh, great!" You know, uh, so I just gotta make that point. Hopefully, he doesn't get this CD. Develop relationships. Develop relationships. So there's ten steps here, real quick. I'll run through. The first is realize what's at stake. Realize what's at stake when you develop those relationships. Jesus spoke more about hell than heaven. And uh, what's at stake is their eternity as a person. That's what's at stake. Number two is pray. Um, Start thinking. Maybe one person this morning you can start praying on a regular basis for. Uh, Number three, just bring it up. Our society is so open to spiritual things right now. Students, that's really true, but I think adults too. Everybody has an idea. Everybody's got an opinion of God and sin, and, and, and so it's it makes it easy to at least bring it up. What's your what's your uh, your thoughts on certain things? Um, second D, we got three Ds. So is discover stories. Everyone has a story. Um, ask a lot of questions. Ask questions like, well, did you grow up in the church or do you attend church? What's your religious background? I wouldn't ask the question, are you a Christian? Because everybody assumes they're a Christian because they live in America. Being born in America does not make you a Christian any more than being born in a garage makes you a tractor. Or being born in a donut shop makes you a cop. Okay? <laughs> being born in America does not make you a Christian. So, so stay away. be really clear with your questions. Um, share your story. Maybe share with them. Hey, you know, I, I've been there. You know, sharing our faith is basically this. It's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. It's one person telling another person where they can find life. It's not that we have it all together and we've arrived and we're the king of the world now and everything's good. And that's not what we want to convey. It's, hey, here's my story. I've been where you've been. I know what it feels like. I've, I've been through that. That number, uh, this next D is discern the next steps. There's a lot of little baby steps you can take today. Actually, we have resources uh, in the back atrium there today that, you know, just different resources. Maybe peruse through those and see if there's something that could help you um, with your friend as you, as you try to reach them. But some of the next steps is know the gospel message. You may come across a Levi this week and they may be ready to cross that line. I just say, you know, find, find a way in a minute or two not ten minutes, but a minute or two to clearly share the gospel message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for us. Uh, be clear. You know, sometimes we talk about asking Jesus into our heart. It's not biblical. I thought growing up as a kid, you know, Jesus in my heart, is he like in the left ventricle? If I have a heart transplant, am I going to hell then? Or you know, I, I didn't really understand. Ask Jesus in my heart. Well, that's not biblical. So be really clear with your questions. You know, have you put your faith in Christ? Have you crossed the line there? Um, be ready to ask the question. Be ready to ask that question. Are, are you prepared to ask Jesus and to uh, put your faith and trust in him? Um, I believe that number nine there, I believe kind of heaven stops and hell stops and they all they all wait for that answer because what's at stake? Is their eternity when, you, when you're trying to reach somebody? Uh, number 10, just lastly, don't give up. Some of you have been praying for a parent or a son or a daughter or a friend for 10, 15, 20 years. Don't give up. The one thing that we know is that God loves that person more than you do. As much as you want to reach them, so does God. God's not willing that any should perish. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Keep praying for them. Keep praying for opportunities. You can share your faith. Would you join me in prayer as we close this morning? God, we can seem really overwhelmed by the, the call to be your ambassadors. Uh, Jesus left this earth, and he asked us to now represent him. And as we do that, we need courage. We need boldness. We need help. And sometimes, God, we, we just ask for forgiveness the times that we've messed up, the times that we weren't obedient to the Holy Spirit's prompting. So, God, as a church, we cry out to you this morning. We say, give us another chance this week. Give us an opportunity to to reach someone, to walk across the room. Thank you, God, that you wanna reach lost people, that you, you care about them, that you love them. And So give us courage, give us boldness this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.